Hi there, this is John from the freegiftfromgod.com podcast. I'm continuing to read the insights I found while seeking to understand what the scriptures say the true church of God should look like. All of this information comes from my free ebook titled The True Church of God, and it can be downloaded freely at the freegiftfromgod.com website. So let me continue reading, and I hope you find something of value in the insights that the Lord has given to me. Today I want to look at church buildings. It has become the practice both today and across many centuries for the church to build churches. Since the Middle Ages, and perhaps even earlier, the church has built massive buildings of wood and stone to house the church. People often refer to these buildings as houses of God. But are they really necessary? Do you need to have a purpose-built building dedicated to housing the church? The first thing we must understand is that church is not a place. We may say that we are going to church or that we will meet at church, but it's important to remember that church is not about a place. It's about the people. People are the church, not the buildings. In recent years, there were a couple of large and famous church buildings that were seriously damaged. The cathedral in Christchurch, New Zealand was damaged by earthquake in February 2011 and became unusable. More recently, the Church of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, in France, was gutted by fire in April of 2019. In both of these events, there was a great outcry from people around the world at the damage to these magnificent buildings. There was an outpouring of grief that these wonderful buildings had been damaged. And yet it is not these buildings that are the church. There was more concern about the buildings, the priceless works of art and relics in these buildings, than there was about the ability of the church to meet any more in the buildings. Buildings are just brick, stone, timber and steel. They are inanimate objects where people can meet. It is not until the people meet in the buildings that we truly see the church because the church is the people. This is what Jesus had to say about this matter. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Matthew chapter 18 verse 20. Jesus is amongst the people when there are as few as two or three people gathered in his name. Thus, church can technically be where two or three people come together in the name of the Lord over a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. They do not need fancy buildings to meet in a church. Scripture also says this, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. John chapter 4, verses 20 to 24. These scriptures were only part of the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well. Under Judaism, the people met in the only building that was ever truly called the house of God, which was the temple in Jerusalem. They did also meet in synagogues, but it was only the temple that was ever called the house of God. As we see in the words of Jesus above, he is foretelling of the day when people would come to worship neither in Jerusalem or any other place. Jesus was showing the woman, and through this conversation showing the rest of the world, 
that there will not be a place of worship because worshipping God is not about where we go to worship, but how we worship. As he continues his discourse with the woman, he shows that the true form of worship would be the worship of God in spirit and in truth. This began when the church came into being and the new covenant came into effect, which happened at the time of Jesus' death. The Father is spirit, and so we must worship him in spirit and truth. It's not about a place of worship, and it's not about doing the works of the law. The true worship is about living in the spirit and being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ by the working of the spirit in our lives. And if we look at the new Jerusalem that will come down from heaven at the time when the final eternal kingdom of Christ Jesus and God comes into being, we see that there is not even a temple in that city of God, as it says. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. Jesus was not too concerned about a place of worship as he foretold the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And it says, And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Mark chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. As much as the temple took a great place of importance in the worship of God under Judaism, Jesus made it quite clear how unimportant the place would become. It would cease to be important after the new covenant was ratified when Jesus died to take away our sins and set us free from the law. The disciples were greatly impressed with the beauty and wonder of the temple, and it must have been an amazing and beautiful building. But Jesus said it would be thrown down and destroyed and come to nothing, which took place some 70 or so years after his death. The Romans sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in retaliation for an ongoing Jewish revolt, and to this day the temple has not yet been rebuilt. There are prophecies indicating it will be rebuilt shortly before the return of the Lord, and pressure is mounting to rebuild it very soon. Another factor we see in the temple ceasing to be a place of worship that occurred when Jesus died was the tearing of the temple curtain. It says, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Mark chapter 15, verses 37 and 38. Under Judaism, there were two sections in the temple, the outer and the inner tents. The outer tent was called the holy place, where the priests went daily to do the service of the temple, to make offerings and so forth. The inner tent was called the holy of holies, and that was separated from the holy place by a heavy curtain. Only the high priest could enter behind the curtain to come into the presence of God, and then only once a year to make the sin offering for the people. But when Jesus died... This heavy curtain that separated the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom, indicating that the way was now open for all people to come into the presence of God. It says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, taking not the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. And it also says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, 
Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22. These two scriptures tell us that Jesus has indeed opened the way for us to be able to come into the presence of God. Prior to the death of Jesus, only the high priest could come into the presence of God through entering the Holy of Holies once a year. But now we have access through the curtain, not into the physical Holy of Holies, which is a representation of the presence of God, but through Jesus we have direct access into the throne room of God himself, and we are able to stand in the presence of the Almighty God and Father of us all. And this is not about any physical building, but is about worshipping God in spirit and truth. It is about approaching God through faith and what God the Father has accomplished for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's about how we worship in spirit and truth. So what can we say about the many church buildings today? And more importantly, what could or should be said about the bigger and fancier buildings that are continuing to be built by new churches? There is a problem when a church builds a building. The focus of the church tends to move away from the gospel message and into the development of a physical asset. Yes, they will say that this building is or will be dedicated to the work of the Lord, and that may be true to some extent. But often the buildings are built to bolster the ego of the leaders of the church or for some other worldly purpose. Consider for a moment that most of the church buildings in the world stand empty for the majority of the time. They are used perhaps for a few hours on a Sunday for a church service, and then they sit idle for the rest of the week. From a pure business perspective, apart from any spiritual perspective, this is a waste of money and a waste of an asset. And if the building was made for the purpose of some man's ego, then it's even worse. Church is not a place. Church is about the people who meet together, coming into the presence of the Lord and knowing that when two or more are gathered in his name, Jesus is in their midst. The other problem with the church developing buildings is that they need to finance the building and then finance the ongoing repairs and maintenance of the building. This costs a lot of money, and so the leaders in these churches push that burden back onto the congregation. It becomes a financial burden on the congregation, with which some members struggle because they may not be financially well off. The problem is exacerbated when the church leadership then puts the congregation under the law by enforcing tithing that many can ill afford. There are many issues associated with the erecting of buildings and the financial burden is one of the main ones, especially if the church leadership enforces a regime of tithing. I'll look at the problems and issues with tithing in a later chapter in this book because tithing goes way beyond just financing the church. The truth of the matter is that the early church met in houses and homes, so there was no cost or minimal cost involved. When the church grew beyond a size that could be comfortably catered for in a house, they moved into synagogues or public halls. We note that Paul separated the church in Ephesus and moved it into a public hall when problems arose in the synagogue. It says, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, arguing and pleading about the kingdom of God. But when some were stubborn and disbelieved, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them taking the disciples with him and argued daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia 
heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Acts chapter 19, verses 8 and 10. Today, there is no reason why a church needs to put a massive burden upon the people by erecting their own building. Even the temple in Jerusalem, that was the only building ever called the house of God, God did not live in. The temple was originally built by King Solomon, and listen to what God said about that building. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made with hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and earth my footstool. What house will you make for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Acts chapter 7, verses 47 to 49. If we want to step back a little further, the first house of God, where the Ark of the Covenant rested and the priests did their service to God, was done in a tent. When the law was established after the Israelites came out of Egypt, Moses was instructed by the Lord to build a tent and all of the other items to be used in the service of the Lord. It was not until many, many years later that Solomon was given leave to build the temple. So how much less important are the buildings built by churches today? We do not need to build physical church buildings today. They cause difficulties because they sometimes feed the egos of people, and they place a tremendous burden on the people of the church to purchase and maintain. God and the Lord Jesus do not call us to build buildings. The Lord wants us to build up people, not things, and that includes buildings. If the church grows beyond a size or capacity that can fit in a house, there are plenty of public halls, factories, or even stadiums that can be hired for a fraction of the cost of building and maintaining a place. And by not building a building, the church can focus on building up people rather than maintaining bricks and mortar. Remember, church is not a place. It is the congregation of people who come to praise and worship the Lord God and Jesus Christ in spirit and truth. That's all I have for this week. I hope you found it interesting, and I hope you will join me again next week as I continue looking at these aspects of the true church of God. All of the information I'm covering here is contained in a free ebook titled The True Church of God that can be downloaded from the freegiftfromgod.com website. So until next week, this is John from the freegiftfromgod.com podcast signing off and hoping you have a blessed week ahead. God bless.